you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, 11, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible in front of you. Parents, you can spread out now. You can take up 26 inches of space instead of the allotted 18 and a half you get when your kids are in here. And uh, we're in a series where we're, we're ultimately we're going through the, the book of 1 Timothy and we're approaching chapter 4 and chapter 5 and we're taking a moment to just really help us to understand what a church is to be about, the ministries that a church is to be about, and specifically uh, we're in a series where we're looking at, at orphans and our heart for orphans. I hope you're reading the book. This past week we, we looked at humility and we looked at the, the tough cases uh, that, that adoption is not always easy, rarely easy, it's tough. And I think in this room, we have pictures of that. In this room, there are evidences that adoption doesn't always have a fairy tale ending, if you will, on this side of eternity. That it's going to require great humility. It's going to erode our pride. There, there are stories in this room of the heartache that can come with adoption either before during, after. And I want to I do something today that hopefully be a blessing for us. Uh, and I hope that it will create in us a deeper level of humility, uh, a greater level of gratitude for our own salvation, our own adoption for those of us here today who have been adopted into God's family, Abraham's family, if you will, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through faith alone in the blood of Jesus Christ. For those of us who have been adopted, and I, I want us to walk out of here with a greater level of humility, a greater level of appreciation for having been adopted, for our salvation that is in Christ. To see, I, I want us to see today a glimpse of who we were apart from Christ. Maybe some of you who you are apart from Christ. To try to develop, to try to cultivate, a, a, again, a level of gratitude. Because I, I think whether it's, whether it's our salvation, whether it's our marriages, whether it's kids, whether it's relationships, our tendency is to forget our tendency is to grow cold. Our tendency is to, uh, even as we'll see, is to, to, to become arrogant, to become prideful with regards to things in our areas, in our areas of our lives that are God's grace. And, and I hope that it will cause us to respond rightly to those around us because of the humility, but specifically the orphan and the widow. To help us remember and recognize God's great grace in our lives. That, that we would first see God's great grace in our own lives and then we would respond in kind to those around us. And, and you'll see on your handout really one point today, just one main point that I want us to see to build upon. And it's, and it's this, that we must first remember, we must first remember God's great grace in our lives. And that will lead us to respond to God's great grace in the lives of others. 
First, recognizing God's great grace in our own lives and then responding. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul is speaking here that we have been made alive with Christ. And we'll look at these first 10 verses later. But he says, in, 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 in looking at the great salvation that God has given us through Jesus, that, that those who were dead in their transgressions have been made alive in Christ, and this is what he says in verse 11. He says, therefore, anytime, and I've said it before, anytime you see therefore in the Bible, he's building on what he said. This is a response to what he just said. Specifically, this is a response to having been saved, to have been brought back from being dead in your transgressions, in your sin. You have now been made alive through Christ. You have been raised up with Him. You have been seated with Him. That, that he, he would show the surpassing riches of His grace to you in the ages to come. That by grace you have been saved through faith, of not of works, not of yourself, all of grace. That you are His workmanship. That you have been prepared, that God has prepared good works. The therefore for all of that is this. The response to all of that is this right here. Remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. And here's... Here's the summary of who you were without Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. Twice in those verses, Paul calls us to remember. That, that's the goal for today. One word, remember. To help us remember who we were without Christ. To remember who we were before God saved us for those of us who are saved. For those of us who have repented of their sin, who have believed singularly, solely upon the blood of Jesus Christ for your salvation, remember who you were before that day. For some of us today, it might help us to realize who we were without Christ. Some of us in here today, our salvation stories began at a very early age. You, you've been walking with God for a very long time, and by God's grace, you don't bear some of the scars that, that others do because of sin. Maybe, maybe you didn't experience some of the things that others in here experience with, regard, with regards to Satan's deception, Satan's lies, and, and that's a good thing. That's a blessing. But in that great grace, we have a tendency to forget who we still were apart from God's grace. Even if you were saved at seven, eight, nine, you were a wretched sinner. You were alienated from the family of God. You were separated. You had nothing, nothing, nothing to offer God except sin and great sin. Don't forget that. We have a tendency for those of us who may have been saved at an early age to not recognize the depth of our sin. The offense that that sin was still to God, that even at, even at seven, even at eight, even at nine years of age, 
you know what? You were an enemy. You're an enemy of God in your sin. And, and we also have a tendency to forget the, the blessing of having walked with God all those years and the, the Holy Spirit dwelling with inside of you and the restraining power of that Holy Spirit to restrain sin, to have kept you possibly from committing sins that who knows what you would have committed had you not had the Holy Spirit inside of you restraining sin. Who knows what, what would have happened to you in high school without the restraining power of the Holy Spirit, in college, in your 20s, in your 30s. And for those of us who have walked with the Lord a long time, and, and that's really maybe all you remember, that's the challenge is to forget still who you were apart from Christ, that you were alienated. You were separate from Christ, excluded from his family. And on the flip side of that are, are some of us in here who bear many scars because of our sin and our rebellion. There's some in here who, who wouldn't at, at dare to argue about the depth of their sinfulness. There, there's some of us in here that are, that are amazed, not at ha they're amazed not at the depth of their sinfulness. They're amazed that the grace of God could cover the depth of their sinfulness. There's some in here who cling hard to, to Romans 5.20 that says where, grace ab where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And the reality is this, whether you were saved at 7 or whether you were saved at 37, your sin abounded. And it required great grace to cover that sin. Great grace to adopt you into God's family. Great grace to forgive you that you would be adoptable. In today's world, it is very expensive financially to adopt a child. Well, I'm here to tell you it was very expensive relationally for God to adopt you and me sinners. It cost Him His Son. His Son. That's the depth of our sin. That's the debt that, that had accumulated because of our sin. That it cost God His Son. Jesus Christ had to die three days later, be resurrected, in order that you and I, believer, could be adopted. That was how great the sin debt was. But yet, over time, we have a tendency to forget that. Even those who wouldn't argue the depth of their sin, over time, we have a tendency to forget who we were without Christ. Over time, we have a tendency to lose the sensitivity to God's grace, the remembrance of God's grace. If we're not careful, that, that gratefulness, that gratitude wanes. And that's how our pride works. Eternally grateful the day of our salvation, and then over time, that gratefulness tends to wane. And even those whose sin was, would not be argued, eventually... The gratitude can wane. And eventually we can get to a point where we now think that we can judge and determine who we show great grace to. Because we've been saved for so long, now we think, well, we can just, we can determine on our own. And the depth, you see it on your handout, the depth 
and evidence of our sinfulness shows up even in our forgetfulness of God's grace. That's how sinful we are that we can forget the very grace that saved us. That's the depth of our sinfulness. It would be as if it would be as if John Cordova, a good friend of mine, is if he if I was drowning and had no options to save myself, if he graciously saved me, it would be as if one day if I forgot that that happened. It would be as if I later on, you know what? I really wasn't in that bad of a trouble, John. You know, if you'd have, if you'd have waited just a few minutes, I could have made it. That's almost the message that we send out as Christians is we forget. We, we have been brought into God's family through the work of Jesus Christ completely by grace through faith. And yet eventually, because of our own sinfulness, we find ourselves in the position, if not through deeds, but, but, but through our attitudes at least, we, we have an attitude that we deserve to be saved. That we weren't as bad as we truly were, that the depth of our sin, the debt that was due our sin, really wasn't as great as it truly was. And the challenge with that is this, that attitude be, doesn't remain inside of us. We begin to project that attitude onto others who we're called to serve, whom we don't serve. Why? Because we deserve that mercy, and we don't believe that they deserve that mercy. That's the real ultimate problem. When we, when we get to the point where we feel like we deserved God's mercy, that God was wise in serving us and saving us, now we become arrogant and we don't, we don't think others deserve it. We deserved it, but others don't deserve it. And we want to play God. And we refuse to offer the same grace that we've received. We refuse to offer to others. Why? We forgot who we were. We've forgotten that it weren't apart from God's grace, we would be exactly where they are. Apart from God's grace, we would, who knows where Chris Basham would be today, apart from God's grace. And the same grace, the same grace is to be offered to others that we first received. That's essentially Christianity. That's the therefore. to offer ourselves to giving others. But it's fueled by remembering who we were without Christ. And that's, that's all I want us to see today. I, I want us to see the grace that we've received in salvation, our tendency to forget that grace. But then I want us to ask ourselves, how will we respond How will we respond? And the tendency, the tendency for all of us in here today, the danger for every one of us in here today is to forget that we were the original messy adoption case. We were not the likely case to be adopted. We didn't deserve to be adopted. God didn't look down and say, oh, man, you know what? David, that guy's got a lot to offer me. I better scoop that guy up or I'm going to be in a world of trouble if I don't scoop up David real quick. No offense to David. You're a great drummer and a great husband. You are still not worthy of being saved. He didn't, he didn't look down and say, oh, you know what, Chris? 
I need him to, I really need him to pastor that church in Odessa, so I'm going to save him. No. It's grace. It's not, it's not worth, it's not value to him. It, 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 we, we have value because he chose us. He didn't choose us because he saw us as valuable to begin with. My value is in the fact of whose name I bear, Jesus Christ, who I've been adopted by. And, and, and it will require, it, it, when, we, when we see who we were before Christ, it conjures up tremendous humility in our own lives. When we realize how we were saved, I mean, Philippians 2 had this attitude which was also in Christ, that though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, even, even that of a slave, even dying on a cross. Have this attitude that was also in Christ, humility. He humbled himself and gave himself up, died for us, that we could be saved. We, we were the original tough case. We were the original individual we'll see today that nobody wanted. We weren't the most likely to succeed, and that's who God's building his kingdom with. And, and what we see here in Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, is, is God is speaking to our tendency to forget. Both verses, remember, verse 12, remember that you were separate. And in the Greek, that, that word remember is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's, it's a command. Remember that you were hopeless before God intervened with grace and interrupted your life. Simple command, remember. Why? Because you and I have a tendency to forget. Let's be honest, we forget. And our gratefulness, our gratitude... Towards God, we have a tendency to forget. And our faithfulness to God is fueled through remembering. We forget who we were. We forget where we were headed apart from God in His grace. We forget that we were separated from God in our sin. We forget that we were condemned in our sin. We forget that we were enemies of God in our sin. We forget that we were children of wrath in our sin. We forget all of that. Because grace indeed reversed that. Romans 8.1, therefore you're no longer condemned. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates His love for us this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we, we exchange wrath for righteousness. That's un, undoubtedly true, but yet we forget that that's who we were apart from Christ. And the disease, the disease in all of us that, that grows from forgetfulness is this. You'll see it on your handout. Arrogance and pride are the children that are birthed through forgetfulness. Arrogance and pride. We, we've been ad adopted. And the gratitude that comes with that eventually can lead to arrogance and pride if, we're not, if we don't remember, if we're forgetful. 
And throughout the Word, throughout the Word of God, you'll see a call, a command to remember. If, if we studied the book of Deuteronomy, all throughout Deuteronomy, he says to remember. In, in chapter 6, verse 10, he's, he says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you, great and splendid cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Here it is. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. When you get in the land... You're going to be really grateful right when you get there. But here's the tendency. After you've been there a few years, you're going to become arrogant and prideful. And you're going to forget that it was the Lord who did all this, that you didn't do it. You're going to forget. If we were to go to, the, to, to Jeremiah, over and over and again, the, the book of Jeremiah, he, he calls his readers to remember. Over, over and over. In, in chapter 2, verse 32, listen to what he says. Can a, for, can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. In chapter 3, verse 21, A voice is heard in the bare heights, the weeping and the supplications for the sons of Israel, because they have perverted their way, they have forgotten the Lord their God. Jeremiah 13, verse 25, this is your lot, the portion measured to you from me, declares the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. If you were to go to the New Testament, you would see the same thing. Hebrews 12, 5, do not forget that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. In, in 2 Peter 1, 5, Peter says, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness to godliness brother to kindness to brother to kindness love then he says he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten his former purification from sins they forgot who they were remembering romans 15 5 paul says i have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you first corinthians 4 he tells timothy i've sent you there to remind them of the ways of christ in 2 Peter 1, 12 and 13, he says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you of things you already know. Reminding. Part of my role as pastor, part of my role as shepherd the reason we gather week in and week out is to remind you of the gospel. To remind you of that which you were saved. To remind you of the blessings that, that are there. To remind you of the future that is coming. To remind you to hang on, to hang on, to hang on. Even every, if the first of every month when we do the Lord's Supper, what did Jesus say? As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do this in what? Remembrance. The thought that we could forget the significance of the Lord's Supper. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. I mean, it almost seems beyond belief, again, that, that those of us who are rescued from God's wrath, 
from God's condemnation through the blood of Christ, by grace, through faith, could forget that, and yet we find ourselves forgetting it. And as I thought about that this week, I thought, I think that's a clear testimony to the subtle strategies of Satan and, 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 and how, he, how he attacks us. Maybe, just maybe for some of us, Satan's strategy in our lives may not be so crude as to adultery or murder or theft. Some of these other sins that we tend to pride ourselves on for having avoided, which, by the way, most non-believers avoid those. Murder, at least, maybe, in the strictest sense, maybe not being angry. But listen, I mean, we, we would pride ourselves on that. Maybe, maybe, Satan doesn't, maybe Satan's not so crude to get, to, get, to get us believers to commit those acts. Maybe Satan's strategy is just to get us to forget who we were. Maybe Satan's strategy is just simply to get us to forget how we became who we are today. Maybe it's just to get us to, to take our salvation lightly. Maybe his strategy in your life and my life is just to, to get us to the point where we're not, we don't have full of gratitude for having been saved. To, t- to take our worship lightly. To take meeting here week in and week out, to take it lightly and to forsake it. Maybe not altogether, but just maybe it's just not a priority. Maybe Satan's strategy is so subtle just to get you to not take your walk seriously. To not seek out, in this case, the orphan. Maybe for some of us, his strategy is simply sins of omission as much as it is sins of commission. Maybe for some of us, it's just subtly not doing what God's called us to do as much as doing what God has told us to not do. Both serious sins. Again, not gross sins in our mind, and yet totally offensive to a God who crucified His own Son so that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord could be saved. And I would argue to us from Scripture that forgetfulness is behind a lot of our sin. You see that in Jeremiah eighteen fifteen, they forgot. But in Psalm 119, 11, it says, your word have I treasured in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. And I'll give you an example of how this works in my own life. This past week, um, I asked, I needed a friend to come do something for me. And um, Barbara moved and didn't need a riding lawnmower anymore. And my son said he'd help me mow the yard if I got a riding lawnmower. And I'm like, well, here's my chance to... Not even know the yard anymore. So I asked a friend of mine to come by who has a trailer and, and help me with that. And with that, uh, there were a couple of tanks of, you know, gas tanks that came that she didn't need any longer as well. And so he comes over and I asked him, you know, I said, hey, do you need a gas tank? I don't need two gas tanks. I said, hey, you need a gas tank? And he said, yeah, I'll take one. And one had like three quarters full and the other was empty. And guess which one I gave him? Yeah, the empty one, like any good person would do. (laughs) 
Now, this is a guy who had come over to my ha- come over to Barbara's house on his own time, his own truck, trailer, to help me take this. And, and I remember, that was right before we got in. I got in my car, and the Holy Spirit, just, just as quick as it said, do nothing out of empty conceit or selfish ambition. And I could not wait to get to my house to give him the tank that had all the gas in it. Because I was acting selfishly. You know what I had forgotten? I didn't pay for those gas tanks. I didn't even pay for the lawnmower. Gifts. Grace. You know what I found myself doing? I found myself being selfish with grace. I found myself being selfish with gas that I didn't pay for. Gas that I didn't deserve. And here, this guy over here, at his own cost, at his own expense, his own time came and served me. And then I was going to be selfish with grace. The whole way I drove home from Barbara's house, I could not wait to get home to try to make it right, to repent. And and I was reminded, I think that sometimes the, the picture of how we are as Christians, we can be real, real selfish with grace. Grace we didn't buy. Grace we didn't deserve. Grace we didn't earn. God has poured all this grace out on us. You know what he says? Go lavishly pour it upon other people. And you know what we do? We we get selfish with it. Why? Because that gas could save me, what, 10, 12, 13 bucks? And, and, And yet, it's forgetfulness. Forgetfulness that I didn't buy the mower, I didn't buy any of that stuff. And yet the the tendency for all of us is to forget the wickedness of our sin, to forget what it cost our Savior to redeem us from that sin, to, to forget who we really were apart from Christ, to forget who we would be today apart from Christ. And again, pride and arrogance creep in. And you see that all throughout the Scriptures. The, the, the result of that in especially in Israel, we see it first pop up, complaining and grumbling. Here they are, have been delivered from slavery in Egypt, and immediately, you know, what the, you know what the symptom was? Complaining and grumbling about what God provided. Forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. And, and, and before we come down hard on them, you know what? You know what God sees in us? Complaining and grumbling. Why? Because we're forgetful. We forget the greatness and the incomparable worth that is ours in Christ. We're hesitant to forgive people. We forget that God has forgiven us this huge debt, Matthew 18. And you know what we do? We go and hold people liable for much smaller debts, even though we've been forgiven a huge debt. Forgetfulness. Depression. I'm not making light of these, but loss of hope. Joylessness. Spiritual mediocrity, all of those ultimately are rooted in forgetfulness of who we are. Forgetfulness. Now, again, I'm not diminishing that there's not serious chemical things in that with depression. But I'm saying for some of us, forgetting who we are can result in these things. And it's just simply remembering who we are. 
God, God is not, he is not building his kingdom with the best of the best. First Corinthians one twenty six, Paul says, For consider, consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are, and the base things of the world and despise God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God, but by his doing, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Remembering who we were apart from Christ is key to a fervent Christianity, to, to avoiding the, Luke, the syndrome of lukewarm. Forgiveness is behind our, our weak worship, Forgiveness is, forgetfulness is behind our lack of a heart for the lost. Forgetfulness is behind our complacency. Forgetfulness is behind our lack of obedience. Forgetfulness is behind our lack of hate for our sin. Forgiveness is behind our boasting in self rather than God. All of that is, is centered on forgetfulness. And, that, and that's why I'm encouraging us to remember and you see it on your handout, although our flesh and pride do not like it, there is great benefit to remembering who we were without Christ. Not good for our pride, but it's good for our walk. Whether you were saved young or old, your salvation by grace, through faith, solely in the work of Christ is a miracle. It is a miracle. It is a dramatic story. It is the canceling of debt and the offering of eternal life. We were hopeless, Paul says in Ephesians 11, hopeless without God in the world. And the hopelessness stems from this. In our sin, apart from Christ, we, God was not for us. He was against us. But now in Christ, God is for us. That ought to change our lives. As a sinner, if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, hear me. You're an enemy of God. He has made a way for you to be reconciled. But you stand right now, immediately, right now, presently, as an enemy of the one true God. Enemy. Not cherished, loved. Enemy. Psalm 5.5 says he hates all those who do iniquity. He hates those who run to bloodshed. If, if, if hates is too strong a word, later on in that chapter, he says abhors. So, I mean, it's, pick your poison. The cross is God, is God sending his son to die for people that he hates. And yet, in his great love, in his character, in his character, his love, he crucified his son for those whom he hated, for his enemies. And what Paul says here is that our salvation, what we were now, what we are now versus who we were, he's saying that ought to grip us. And everything about our lives ought to overflow from that. Having been saved. And you see it on your handout. Biblical remembering involves feeling, not just acknowledging what we have been saved from. Listen, the threat of God's wrath, the threat of God's eternal judgment are real. Real. 
real. It's not some smoke and mirrors, not just something that he throws out there that he's really not going to ever do. No, those who are separated from Christ Jesus will die and spend eternity separated from God in hell. Eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth. They will spend eternity as, as, as orphans, if you will, without hope. And, and, and the reality is that those of us who are in Christ, we were there one time. And ima- imagine for just a moment, some of us have been there where we have lost, well, lost may be a strong word. We're not aware where our kids are for like a brief second. Raise your hand if you've been there, where you've had that moment. Like it could be two seconds, that's the worst feeling in the world. For your kid to be there and all of a sudden they're not there. Imagine, think, think, about them, think about if that was you as a kid and all of a sudden you can't find your mommy. Mom, think about you. you. You can't find your child. The emotion that comes with that, even for a few seconds, and that feeling that overtakes you, and then the joy. Remember the, remind yourself of the joy of when you find that child. When you find them. That, that's the joy that God calls us to live in. Of having been lost, and now we're found. That's what he says in, in Luke chapter 6, verses 36 to 50. He's calling for that. The challenge for all of us is to, or I'm seven, I said Luke 6, it's seven. The parable of the two debtors, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher, a money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgives more. He said to him, you have judged correctly, turning toward the woman. And this is a woman who was a, a prostitute. She had been la- wiping Jesus' hair, feet with his hair and lavishing oil upon him and all this stuff. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. You see the correlation with understanding the debt that we were forgiven of and how we respond? If you think your sin debt was small, you know how you respond? By loving little. But if you're like this woman and you realize the actual debt that you came to God with and your sin was huge, you love a lot. So so really... Those of us who love little, we're telling on ourselves. We didn't really see ourselves as forgiven of all that much. That, that's the parable he's saying. Th- this woman was, was the worst of the worst. She wouldn't argue. She couldn't stop lavishing her tears and wiping his feet and loving on Jesus. The Pharisee over here would have argued about his sinfulness. You know what he did? He offered Jesus nothing. And, and gratitude is fueled by understanding who we were. You know, that, that we were the original tough case if, if you were in, in our adoption. And, and so I want to, you'll see them on your handout. I want to, 
we could spend hours doing this. I just picked a few, maybe even more than I should have. I, I enjoy doing this, and I hope it's a blessing for you. God is building his kingdom when those rejected by the world. Please hear that. Psalm 103.2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Praising the Lord fights off forgetfulness. Remembering fights off forgiveness. I, I want us, real quickly, to take a look at, who, at scriptures that show who we were apart from Christ and who we are in Christ to prompt us to remember. To prompt us to remember. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Listen to what it says. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds and the hearts of the unbelieving, so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Listen, I once was blind, but now I see, solely through the gospel. Solely because of God's grace. We were blinded to God's grace, and yet in His great mercy, He opened up our eyes. We didn't find God. We didn't seek him out. God found you. He chose you. He's the one that opened your eyes. John 15, 3. He says, if I have made you clean, you are indeed clean. The reality was in our sin, we were not clean. I was once a leper, and now I'm clean. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen to Romans 8, 7. It says, I'll start in verse 6. For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh, this is unregenerate, unregenerate, unsaved individual, is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. I once was paralyzed, but now I can freely serve God. Uh, please understand that you, you could not do anything to get to God. You're paralyzed. You, you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. I once was deaf to God in His grace, and now I hear the beauty of it. All because of grace. You look at 1 Corinthians 2, 14. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually praised. But he who is spiritual praises all things. I once was dumb to the goodness of God, but now I know the goodness of God. In, in Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 5, they said, Hey, here's how you'll recognize the Messiah. The lame will, speak, will, will walk, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the mute will speak. That's exactly the miracles that you see Jesus performing in the New Testament. Why? Because you and I, you and I spiritually are what all of them, all of those individuals were physically in relationship to God. We were the lame, the blind, the deaf, the mute. We were the leper. Lepers, they had to stay outside the camp. Guess what? We're not allowed in the presence of God apart from us having our sins cleansed, washed, holiness imputed upon us. That's the picture. Ephesians 2, I'll just run through these. Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your trespasses to sin and now you have been made alive 
to Christ. I once was dead and now I live. Luke 19, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I once was an enemy of God, and now I have been reconciled to God. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I once was, I once was uh, guilty, and now I'm innocent. No condemnation. Listen to Galatians chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. So that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might be, receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. I was once enslaved to false gods, and now I have been declared a son of the one true God. 1 Peter 1.3 talks about you being born again to a living hope. I once was without hope, and now I have been born again into a living hope. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I once was far off from God, and now I have been brought near to God. Ephesians 2, 3 through 7, among them too we formerly walked, talking about those who were dead, in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love which we loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by, the gra by grace you have been saved. I once was destined for God's wrath, and now I am a recipient of his love. I mean, let these things sink in. Romans 8.15 talks about he's given us the spirit of adoption. I once was fatherless and now I have a daddy. A daddy. Intimate. Romans 5.1 talks about th that we have, we, we, there's been peace made between us and God. Romans 8.31, therefore, there's no condemnation. He goes on to say, if God was for us, who can be against us? I once was against God, and now He is for me. Romans 8.33 Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, He who died, yes, rather was raised, who is the right hand of God. He intercedes for us. I once was condemned, and now I'm justified. Condemned, now justified. Ephesians 2.19 says that I once was outside the family of God and now I have been brought inside the family of God. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. 1 Peter 1.4 says that we have an inheritance that will never fade or perish. I once was poor, but now I have an inheritance that will never fade. Galatians 1.4 talks about he rescued us. I once was in need of rescue and now I am saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. I once stood in my sin and now I have been declared righteous. Galatians 4.4 talks again about our adoption. I once was orphaned and now in spite of all that I was, I'm adopted. 
challenge before us today is to let that sink in, to not, not run quickly from these truths because they're uncomfortable. To realize the greatness of the, of the gospel. Hebrews 2 says, how will we neglect so great a salvation? If those in the Old Testament were disciplined for forgetting, he says, how much, will, how much more will you and I do not neglect so great a salvation? My challenge is that maybe some of us in here need to pray what David did in Psalm 51, verse 12, when he said, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Maybe salvation's old hat for some of us. Maybe we've forgotten. By remembering God comes and initiates a relationship, and he re that relationship you see on your handout rearranges everything that we see. Everything around us, people, things, they're all interpreted through grace. Were it not for grace, circumstances, listen, I thought about this this week and I'll close. Think about who you were and, and the grace of God giving you the parents that he did circumstances, where you were birthed, the country, all that's grace. And all that has a tremendous impact on who you are. And my, my challenge is this, that if we would allow the, our own adoption to influence and affect how, what our attitudes are and our, and our approaches to others and their need for adoption or fostering or cared for, again, it's going to look very different in all of our lives, but First, we have to remember who we were. And I, and I, I know a song, I, I'm bi I, I love good songs. I, I love lyrically rich songs. And a couple weeks ago, I heard this song, and it's by Casting Crowns. And I, I want us to take a moment as Clay plays this song. I want you to contemplate what you've heard today. I want you to contemplate God's grace. I want you to think for a moment what it would be like right now to be lost with no hope. Maybe going through what you're going through right now with no hope.